Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, if you're like us, maybe you're having a three-day work week, so really this day is Wednesday. Yeah, right. Are you just you just are informed it's Tuesday and you go, oh, okay. okay Thank you. But for- it's really Wednesday <laughs> wait, in the when- scheme of things. Right? Where? Just confusing How? everybody. Um, all right, we got to just start the show. We have a very notable uh, uh, fashion obituary, a life well-lived. Pierre Cardin has passed away at the age of 98. And um, I guess I really didn't even know that he was still alive. And um, so I was like, what? You know, and anyway, but one of the things that he did is he was the first designer and he got Lots of crap about it. Coco Chanel, all the designers turned up their nose. He got kicked out of some, you know, like a French couture. Um, I forget what it, the association okay. is because he was the first one to take his name. And it was on towels Ooh. and luggage and perfume. And and look at the brands now. Everybody does it. Everyone but does he it. got lots and lots of uh, crap about uh, doing it at the time. And um, he had kind of an interesting career. So he was Italian by birth. And he was like from a big family. And mm-hmm. his family moved when he was small to France. But he... Uh, was apprenticed to a tailor in Vichy at the age of 17, specializing in women's suits. And when he moved to Paris, he designed the sets and the costumes for Beauty and the Beast uh, in 1947 in the production that they did. And he worked with Christian Dior in the House of Dior, and then he set up his own label in 1950. And he created what is considered the legendary bubble dress oh, in 1954. Gorgeous. And yet, like I said, he ruffled feathers in the fashion establishment because he designed a ready to wear, which is what you buy off the rack. That's yeah, what they yeah. call it. Ready to wear for the Parisian um, department store Printemps. So there's galleries. Lafayette is the big one. And then Printemps is the other Big, you know, like a Dayton's Donaldson. Okay, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, got Macy's, it. something yeah, like yeah. that. So they were just horrified. Voila! How could you do how that? How dare you? And um, he just he just kind of did all the things He first. did all of it, and he broke ground. He was the first uh, person to designer to hold a fashion square in Red Square in Moscow in 1991. 200,000 people showed up, and... He was very much like the globalization. He recognized Japan as a market and he wanted his clothes to be worn by everyday people. He's quoted, my goal was the street, that my name and my creations are the street. Celebrities, princesses, that was in my cup of tea. I respected them. I dined with them, but I didn't see them in my dresses. So, wow, it was um sunglasses, you name it. He had a myriad of uh, licensing agreements and uh, he made more money than anybody else. Now his 
much used and franchise name, the Pierre Cardin brand eventually lost its luster. And when he put up his fashion label in 2011, it didn't sell. Oh, he bought it. But um, anyway, a lot of people in the fashion world are, you know, just remembering him, designers that worked under him. And Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, with, again, many things I'm introduced to this world as from Lori. <laughs> Knowing who he is was one of them. And I, you know, during the last hour, I was looking up some of his stuff. His fashion was just gorgeous. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, and also, can we acknowledge that he was into leggings before we were in the leggings? Yeah. He was very, very, like, he, that was his aesthetic. He wanted to design for the the woman that's yeah. on the go and yes. in the street and all of that. and. He, um, I guess he lived in some little town in the south of France and he just kept buying up buildings. Mm -hmm. And so people were kind of like, oh, again, you know, he was ruffling feathers. Yeah, right. Just angering. He was buying them up. But anyway, um, it was a global brand before anyone else had a global brand or did any of it. And then he was, he was allowed back into the, um, the French you know, established whatever it was called. Gosh, I can't think of it, but um, mm-hmm. he was allowed back in, but um, he he didn't even really care yeah. that he'd been booted out of it. And he also did the, like the space age. Yeah, he did stuff. And it was yeah. like mod meets space age. He, yeah. He was, he was the guy who introduced us to mod mm-hmm. as a fashion. Gorgeous. So anyway, so that uh, if you are, Interested, there's a lot of uh, good obituaries out there and good fashion people remembering him um, on Twitter and Instagram, where we go. We need to find somebody who has one of these dresses. Oh, I know. I bet you. Oh, I'm, I know for a fact. Well, I remember when, um, oh, who was it? Um, Halston mm-hmm. did a partnership with uh, Penny's. And I remember I was so excited because you knew who Halston was yeah. because everybody wore Halston to Studio 54. Yeah. So it must have been like in the early 80s or whatever. And I had just like like probably 60 or $50 and I got this jumpsuit, oh. you know, out of the jersey did that you, I wore to a wedding. Did you keep it? Do you still oh, have it? No, I didn't keep it, but oh. there's a photo of, of me in it at a wedding and I just was like, oh, that was my Halston from JCPenney. Post that on your guys' Instagram. You have to. That sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. But yeah, that was he paved the way for all of that. So, and if you are thinking that um you know, 2020 has just absolutely sucked. Mm-hmm. Holly has posted at least some pop culture moments that happened in 2020 that did bring us joy. So if you want to take a look at that, we've the got less, that posted for you. Less suckage helps. That's right. And also, we're going to be talking books uh, at 3.30. Um, Lori Herzl, who's the senior book editor for the Star Tribune is going to be with us. Oh, thank God, because I've been reading some bad books. I acquired a bunch of books because my mom, they sold their house, so she just gave me a bunch of books where she, random whatever, and there was a reason I hadn't acquired these earlier. They're not great, and so I need some good books on my list. We also posted a list of the the books that um, the Star Tribune um, 
picked out with their editors okay. some of the best books of okay. 2020 if you need some ideas. Yes. And of course, we have our Low J Book Club. Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I've got my fingers on the pulse of that. That's yes. the only thing I have coming. But yeah, besides that. All right, listen, when we come back, it's our story we can't get enough of. It's the thing on our bingo card we did not see coming in 2020. We can't get enough of this story. Okay, so the story that has just given us adrenaline between Christmas and New Year's is the Hilaria Hillary Baldwin's entire life is a fake. And um, I all I can think of is, well, first of all, Alec Baldwin did a Super cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs um, Instagram. An attack on the attackers, and it was awkward. It made me want, you know that secondhand embarrassment? Oh, my gosh. That's how I felt. I just want to say stop. 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 And from all the evidence that we've seen before mm-hmm. we get into it, Hilaria grew up as a wealthy, privileged American woman in Boston. Yep. Her family took some vacations to Spain mm-hmm. when she was a kid. Yeah. She took Spanish yep. and became good at it, like many people do. Then her parents retired from the work in Boston, moved to Spain for their retirement years. Yeah. And then at some point when she was around 19, she changed her name from Hillary to Hilaria and started experimenting with a Spanish accent. Mm-hmm. And Hilaria. Hilaria. <laughs> and, uh, and, and basically, you know, the, I mean, yesterday they changed her bio. I know. That she was not born in Mallorca, and they just left off where she was born and what her <laughs> heritage is. And But she faked a, a come-and-go thick Spanish accent and kind of built this whole persona. Absolutely. Around it. So uh, Alec Baldwin, you know, he kind of went crazy, and he said, we should consider the source. Yeah. About this. She's the source. That's the problem. So do you think he knew about it and just kind of was like, I like your kind of... I think that they have... They're perfect for each other. Well, yes. And also, I think that the lie is so concrete in their mind that it doesn't feel like a lie. It's well, it's her po- persona now. And that's well, and so to them, them, this isn't a lie. This is who she is. I guess so. And I mean, it is... Uh, she's been thirsty and trying to make a thing yeah. happen. And yeah. what she's... For all I can see is that she's like a baby-making machine. She's I had know. five children in she, seven years. It's just like she's blessed that way if that's what she's she wants. She's been a thirst trap since day one. Day one. And, and so this is, yeah, and you could just know that, like, she probably did an accent here and there and notice she got some special attention. Well, Rocco has yes. some uh, yes. evidence for us, uh, yeah. courtesy of page six, about eight, about eight different times when Hilaria <laughs> Hillary Baldwin Baldwin's Leaned uh, accent it. was coming and going. Yeah. What are we listening we'll to see. first? Uh, we'll start with this one where not, she's doing a, sh- a chef's demo. Mm-hmm. Oh, and is she this seems the Today to forget, Show? I'm not sure where it's from, mm-hmm. to be honest, but um, she seems to forget how to pronounce a certain food item. Okay. So we'll see how this sounds. We have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have, um, how do you say it? Cucumber? Cucumbers. We have... Um, she forgets how to say cucumbers. That's on the Today Show. Oh. How she even got that cooking gig. Thank you, Alec Baldwin, oh. 30 Rock. How you say microphone. How do you say in English? Yeah, that how is, you say. We said yesterday, that is a classic. That is something that English is a second language. Totally. Someone will say. Absolutely. Like one of the things you learn in Spanish is, is you say, como se dice? Yeah. And then you say the word. Right. I mean, yeah. It's a helpful 
Praise to know. So what else? Now what are so we going to uh, Here's a couple clips from something I think called GAA or something um, where she's talking about her wedding and it's definitely a Spanish accent, okay. I'd say. You know, it feels different. It really feels different. But I didn't think it was going to be different, but it feels quite different. What's so. the thing that surprised you the most? Um, I think just the fact that it feels different. You know, I, we, we like to say husband and wife a lot. Yeah. Um, I come husband now. I say, husband, where are you? Yeah, that, that's... He says, where's my wife? How's my wife look? doing? I was very happy, but she, she texted it to me, and I was just like, oh, my God, you can't do this. We, we you know, we signed something with, with People Magazine. You, you can't do this. So that's, I mean, that sounds pretty Spanish, right? Yeah, because she's rolling her R's. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is quite different. I yes. mean, husband and wife. Yes, okay, absolutely. Now here's one where she's sort of in and out. Like okay. a little bit of this, a little <laughs> bit of that. How did it happen? Well, he took me out to Montauk. He said that was as close as he could get to Spain, to my family, and to Rome, because we really like Rome as well. And um, he got down on his knee. And then I don't remember the rest because I started crying. <laughs> but um but yeah, I mean you can hear yeah. a little yeah. bit of this. And then here is one where she I think she's talking about how she stays in shape and there's absolutely no Spanish accent at okay. all. Okay. Is it lots of work? It's not it's not easy. I and mean, I think part of it is that I'm in shape before I have a baby yeah, yeah. and then I stay active when I'm pregnant yeah. and it's you know I'm not trying to stay thin. I'm just trying to keep my circulation going and stretching and keep my muscle tone up. Absolutely not. And celebrities are having a lot of fun with the Hilaria Baldwin. Yeah. Kathy Griffin wasted no time um, taking a couple of funny swipes at her. Also, um, how would I possibly know the English word for cucumber? Joe Z joked about the cucumber clip, sharing mm-hmm. a cuke emoji and writing, well... Um, I didn't have that Hilaria Baldwin is a white girl from Boston who faked a Spanish accent in her background for 2020 this year, but five more days of 2020. Comedian Michelle Collins, she said, I don't think two people have ever deserved each other more than Alec and Hilaria Baldwin. I mean, Hilaria, anyone who's on Hilaria's side exists on a different spiritual plane than me. Kim Richards and Kyle Richards got into it. People are tweeting the cucumber emoji and um and catfish host nev shulman said on this week's episode of catfish we help alec find alec baldwin find out if hilaria really is who she said she is <laughs> and what's funny is that there was a um 30 rock episode that may have predicted this little... All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game. And you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, situation. 
because there was Emily Mortimer um, played. So his char- character. Did you guys watch that show? Yes. Dirty Rock. Yeah. Yes. yeah so Love funny. Dirty Rock. So Jack Donahue, mm-hmm. his character was dating this British woman named Phoebe played yeah, yeah. by Emily Mortimer. Yeah. And after Jack proposes, then Tina Fey's Liz Lemon says, finds out that Phoebe's faking her accent. Yeah. Does this sound familiar? This is in 2007. So this is like four years before he gets with Hilarious. So clips from the episode ended up on TikTok. Of course. Of course. And with people just hilariously doing the storyline side by side. Um, You know, Tina Fey is a prophet. It's like Hillary watched the show and made her move. And anyway, um, it's a very... They're like, how did that show predict this? If anything, the writers ma- manifested. So you're saying Alec knew. So people are having a lot of fun. They're also digging up stuff from her in podcasts where she bragged basically that she's known about Zara before anyone else in the United States. Just like weird things to it's, brag about. Yeah, I mean, it's a mind boggle. And the weirdest part, I don't know if this would have been a story if she didn't respond. No, it 100% would never complain, never explain. I this mean, is what you do with all messy situations. When I make it big, you're going to be my publicist. And all you're going to do is take away my phone because that's all you have to do, right? You just, she's made it worse. She then, made it way worse. Ireland got involved. Yeah. She made it worse. Yeah. And she's backed off and she's taking a break. Alec gets involved. Oh, and Alec just next. I mean, he is... The cherry on the crazy Sunday because watching him talk about it, oh his aggressiveness, and then the way he says it, as if we're dealing with a catastrophe where we've lost lives, he's like low voice and he's like, Yeah, I hope everyone had a good holiday. Yeah, I know. Ours was not great. There were things that happened. It's like, Oh my God, what are we talking about right now, Alex? I don't know how she finds so much time to do so much Insta post with five children. I I don't care if you do have household help. Um, Julia Young, she's a comedian, and I follow her on Twitter. She wrote, Hilaria uh, Baldwin needs to take this whole mess to the red table, or as she would say it, the Mesa Roja. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if she goes there, but I I would tell her not to do it. Just calm down. It's like shades of that. Remember that Rachel Dolezal? The chick who was white and pretended to be black, including becoming the president of her chapter of the NAACP? it's how do you get this far? It's I, just a mind boggling. All I can say is I'm glad Madonna's bad English accent only a- lasted for like a year I after know. she and Guy Ritchie. I know. Don't don't study abroad is what we've learned. Oh boy. Uh, Lori Herzl, a senior book editor for the Star Tribune, is joining us. Hi, Lori. Hey, how are you guys? We're good. We talked to you like clockwork in May and December. We love it. We That's do. Great. We get, we have to get our summer reading, and uh, <laughs> but you know, I think for in December we always like to talk to you about, um, you know, the many many good books that came out mm-hmm. in 2020. And I don't know. I we posted a link to the Star Tribune the, that you guys put together your book list. But do you have mm-hmm. a hard time going? How do you go back and look at what? How do you keep track of what you've read? Oh. Well, I'm not very organized. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad because we're no, not either. I keep, a, I keep a running list of all of the reviews that we have run throughout the year. Okay. But, of course, I, I have not read every single book that no. we review because nobody can read that fast. No. And then I have a 
personal list of books that I read. And then I always just stop adding to that. Like in August, I just forget. So yeah. that one is never very complete. Well, I like, but when the, we, I like the list yeah. that we, that you gave us to link up because that, I mean, describe what that is covering. Yeah, that's our holiday list. It's kind of a mixture of recommendations for books you might want to give, but also sort of the uh, top 10 books of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all recommendations. And then I I work with a lot of really, really wonderful, intelligent critics, and I ask 10 of them to each submit their favorite book of the year. We don't call it best book mm-hmm. because nobody's read every single book. You know, right. there might be better books. But so we've got that. It's called Critics' Choice. And, and then we have like 12 novels that we recommend and 12 nonfiction and children's books and all that. It's it's a really fun thing to put together. Yeah, we do it every, it's, every year. It's so great. And I so appreciate it. And that's posted on our Low J page. Well, Lori, what great. was your favorite book of the year? Boy, you know, ah, <laughs> can I have one fiction and one nonfiction? Yes, yes. That way. All right. And they both happen to be by local writers, but that is not why I chose them. So my favorite nonfiction book, you, I'm sure you've heard of, is called Owls of the Eastern Ice, and it's by a Minneapolis guy named Jonathan Slatt. And it's um, it came out of his the work that he did for his um, PhD at the U. And every year for five years, he went to far eastern Russia to track this very rare owl. And the book is, it's nature writing, it's adventure writing, you know, he almost dies several times. It's just fascinating. And it's, and he's a really, really good writer. You know, most scientists, you know, you might think would be kind of dry mm-hmm. or scholarly, but he's, it's just a fascinating book. And, and uh, it's, it's published by, I think, Ferrer, Strauss, and Giroux, and they have had a lot of trouble keeping it in print because it's just been flying off the shelves, and it was one listed for the National Book Award, and it's a great book. What's it called again? It's called Owls of the Eastern Ice. Okay. I, I have and, seen this show up, uh, I think it was just in the week um, yeah. that yeah, they recommended been, this book and used a Star yeah. Tribune um, you know, a review of it in the week. Oh, good. That was my review. Oh, okay. Um, I I know you can get it. Moon Palace got it back in in stock, and the Museum of Russian Art, which is where he held his book launch virtually. Mm -hmm. Um, But it has been hard to find because everyone is just buying it the minute it shows up on the shelves. It's a really good book. And plus, we we saw that darling little owl that was trapped in the... (laughs) The rock of the mm. tree, you know, and people are yes. like, oh, owls yes. really are cool animals. So. Oh. The, oh. The, they are, but the owl that, that Flat writes about, um, it's called Blakeson's Fish Owl, and it is huge. I mean, it's bigger than great horned owls here. It's it's He compares it to the size of a fire hydrant. I mean, oh. it's a really, really big bird. All so, right. And it's... it's it's just a really cool book. It's oh. a, it's an adventure story. All Think right. of it as an adventure story. You've piqued so then, our interest mm-hmm. in that one. Now, what was your favorite <laughs> fiction uh, that you read this year? I, I think that my favorite fiction is, and I'm not quite done with this book, but it is also written by a guy who lives in Minneapolis. It's called Sharks in the Time of Saviors. And the author's name is Kawhi Strong Washburn, and he is actually Hawaiian. And he moved here because I think his wife is from Stillwater. But it is set in Hawaii, and it's 
it's kind of a, it's a realistic novel with a lot of kind of mystical, magical things in it. It reminded me in some ways of Louise Erdrich, who, you know, she writes in her novels often, you know, the ancestors kind of come back and they're, mm-hmm. you can physically see them. And, and that sort of thing happens in this book as well. But it's, it's set in Hawaii and it's set in the Pacific Northwest. And it is spectacular writing. And again, this is his first book just like with Slat, first books that are just coming out, you know, game busters. It's great. And this book was on uh, Barack Obama's list of his favorite books of the year. And it is now long listed for three pen awards, which is unheard of. There's never been a book long listed for three pen awards. And the long, the short list will be announced in February. So hopefully he will move up in the ranks, but it is a really good novel. Okay. It's about a family, a Hawaiian kind of working class family. And, and um, one of the children gets rescued by sharks when he falls overboard. And then he develops these kind of magical healing powers. It's just really a wonderful book. Yeah. I have to read this book and we try, you know, we were in touch with the author and it was mm-hmm. right when COVID happened and all yeah. the publishing yeah. houses closed down and we yep. couldn't get a copy of the book. And he's, yep. we just had a lot of snafus and we were just never able to have him on. But again, read the review. Did you do that review? No, no, you yes. must not have. It must have been somebody else. But I was like, I have we to read this yeah. book. It sounds yeah, wonderful. It is really, really wonderful. And, you know, the fact that it's now on this was on Obama's list and the pen long list gives you a really good hook to talk to him now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll reach out to him again because yeah. we were having the hardest time. I didn't mm-hmm. realize he was a first time author. Yep. He's a first time author. Okay. It's just amazing. These books that are so, so sophisticated and so well-written that come from these people who, you know, it's their first book. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. Do you think, Lori, do you ever have designs to write a book? Do you ever, being a big, huge book reader, <laughs> book editor, do you think, ah, oh, you know, maybe I'll write a book? Well, I have written a book, but um, it, it was published 10 years ago, so it's, it's old. But, was you it know, fiction? I, I look, no, it was a memoir. It was published by the University of Minnesota Press. Okay. It's my memoir of, of being in journalism. It's called News to Me. But, oh. but so you know, you have I have written a book, these, damn it. I, <laughs> <laughs> but, but do I want to write another one? I don't know because so many books come in, you know, and, and there's so many that are so good, mm-hmm. so remarkable and original. And, you know, we don't have room to review all of these really, really good books. And, so it just feels sort of like, I don't know, the world needs another book by me. You know, I mean, there's people out there who have much more interesting things to say. So I'm just going to sit back and, and read their books, I think, and, you know, get yeah. them in the paper as much as I can. Um, can I ask you about a book, if you read it? it this is going uh-huh. back to the beginning of the year. There was a lot of hoo-ha, which I thought was not warranted, directed toward the author. And I read it, and mm. I would put it on my top ten list for sure, American Dirt by Janine Cummins. Oh, did you, did yes. you read that? Yes. that You know, that book was, I think it sort of came out at the wrong time when there was a lot of, a lot of discussion about, you know, cultural appropriation and does she have the right to tell this story? And I think one of the problems was she was writing kind of a thriller, 
a mystery, a adventure, mm-hmm. you know, this woman trying to get across the border with her child and she's right. being um, chased by bandits or whatever. And I think the publisher marketed it in a way that made people think it was going to be, you know, great and profound literature. And really, I don't think that was what she had in mind. Well, I think she was just trying to tell an exciting story, you know? And Lori, and, I think that that, like, sometimes cancel culture comes around for books, and, and we know that. But a yes, fiction, a novel, a, a novel from your own mind, you can write about anybody, be anything about, I mean, I'm like, who is anybody to put in a yeah. box? About you can't write about that because you weren't an immigrant who tried to get across the border. We wouldn't read anything. Well, <laughs> it's a very, no, you, you raise a really good point. It's a very complicated topic. And people, you know, on the one hand feel like, hey, we're not allowed to tell our stories. No one's publishing our stories. They're only publishing the stories of white people. Therefore, the white people shouldn't be telling our stories. We should have the chance. And then, you know, other people say, I'm a fiction writer. What I do is I make stuff up and I try yeah. to imagine a multitude of lives. And so it's, it's a very, um, I, I wish that people could talk about it a little with a little less emotion than they can right now. I think, yeah. Because it's such an, it's a very important discussion. Well, I think um, it ended up helping her sell more books. I felt bad that it, that, you know, that she was like shamed for coming up for what was really a compelling story a nail biter um and it really if anything for me it it gave me an awareness of things that go on at the border that i had no idea that were just sort of it was just sort of oh you know but i this brought it to life why do people have to escape Mm -hmm. mexico or honduras it brought it to me in a way that you know, reading a, a, a newspaper story, yeah. just giving that it didn't, I guess. So, well, and I, I, I would say that that people who objected to her book had legitimate reasons for objecting. However, I also felt there was sexism involved because yeah. you have white writers like Don Winslow who write books that are set on the border, and they've got all these, yeah, um, you know, Latino characters and mm-hmm. and Hispanic characters, and and Nobody's saying anything about that, but yeah. you know she really got hammered. So yeah, she did. Well, I, I hope she sold a lot of books. I hope that that was her um, <laughs> ultimate revenge, and you know, <laughs> really, she did. She did. It was on the bestseller list for quite some time. Um, another book I want to ask you about, uh, which would be uh, in Julie and I. We kind of talked about this before she left. You know, some of our favorite books, but. Uh-huh. And again, this was a book back, I think we had Kathleen on in January, but we absolutely loved it, Minor Dramas and Other Catastrophes, which was oh, uh, the fictional yeah. Minneapolis suburb of Liston Heights, where the parents have yeah. money and the children are ambitious and the houses have four-car garages. I mean, fabulous right, right. book, and I thought Reese Witherspoon needs to option this. That was such a compelling story. Yeah. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think she has another book coming out, um, next year. Okay. Um, um, I, oh, now I have to just quickly I mean, because it's, it's kind of highlighted and, you know, came out in January, so it's like textbook Uh bad behavior. It was just so, such an interesting, 
uh, yeah. book. I was just wondering if uh, you like that as well. Her next one coming out is uh, March, March 21. Are, are we, we there? there yet? Yeah, and that looks really yeah. good. Uh, I actually read that yeah. other kid cast. It was so good. Was it? So, and yeah. it was one of those things where yeah. you were, I was, you know, I'm not um, a suburb mom, but I was very invested in their drama. Right. I could totally, yeah. I think I, you know, have to tweet Reese Witherspoon again about getting on yeah, the stick. Get on I'm that. always <laughs> tweeting her, Lori, about things I think she should option. Or sometimes I, I West yeah, sometimes I tweet. very happy. Yeah, Carrie Washington. Um, okay, well, can you stay with us, Lori, and get, sure. so we can talk about a few more books? and Absolutely. Um, and give us the the name again of your favorite fiction book, Sharks in the Time of... Sharks in the Time of Saviors. Saviors. Thank you. John Washburn. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right. Well, we're talking with um, Lori Herzl, book editor, senior book editor from the Star Tribune. We'll be right back. If you want to call in to Rocco or tweet us or email us your favorite books, you can certainly do that. And we'll give them a shout out. We'll be right back. Um, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Lori, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, for being same with us. Um, okay. Um, uh-huh. Any other books that you want to like give, you know, like extra plugs to or give us a, you know, book review? Well, I remember when I talked to you in May, we talked about uh, Curtis Sittenfeld's Rodham. Yes. I thought was a lot of fun. And I think we also talked then about um, Louise Erdrich's The Night Watchman, which is just a really wonderful book. About, it's a um, novel, um, fictionalized uh, account of, of a remarkable thing that her grandfather did, um, saving the, the Turtle Mountain tribe. But I also wanted to mention Charles Baxter's new novel, The Sun Collective. Um, he also lives in Minneapolis, and of course, he's very renowned. He just retired from the U, where he um, taught in the MFA program. And this book is set in Minneapolis, and um, it also has, I think this is kind of a, uh, a recurring um, thing that I'm seeing in, in novels that I love, and it's this, this combination of realism and kind of uh, mystical, weird things. And so his novel set in Minneapolis, and it's about um, a commune that is trying to make a difference in um, a time when there's a president who's kind of crazy and game show host like, and it's not Trump, but it's very similar to Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's this, this um, collective, the sun collective that's trying to do the right thing, but, but the bigger it grows, the more um, kind of out of control it starts spinning. And then there's, there's a whole nother thread with this retired couple um, and they're trying to find their son and the wife has this spell at Minnehaha Falls. And when she comes to, she can talk to her dog and her cat. And I mean, it's, it's, I'm not describing it very well because there's so many different threads to this novel, but it is, it's, if you live in the twin cities, you will recognize every single place in this book. And, um, and it's a great story too. And it's just perfect for our time because of the, the, um, parallels between what's going on in the country now and what's going on in the book uh rise in homelessness and this kind of crazy president <laughs> yeah it's it's very good it's very I, good. I it's think called it's, the sun collective it's like when i try and describe what was my and julia's favorite book of the year which was the invisible mm-hmm. life of Addie larue when you say i out, don't know that book. oh my gosh <laughs> well when you say out loud it's about this 
woman in the 17 or 16, 28, you know, and she's a French village girl and she has to get married at 17. And then she makes, uh, she calls up the devil basically. And, you know, it's like a Faustian pack. It's a time traveling. Mm -hmm. It's a romance. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got all these things, but in the end of it all, it's just this big epic book and the way that like the time traveler's wife was or discovery mm-hmm. of witches or you know like that it's just got a lot of elements to it but yeah i always feel like i'm not giving this justice <laughs> <laughs> well i think any novel that you can just really sink into yeah. and you don't want to put it down and it brings you to this other place um and it teaches you things i mean that's I mean, a novelist, you know, that's a hard job being a novelist, I think. And, and, you know, there's so many great ones out there. There have been so many great novels this year. I mean, mm-hmm. say what you want to about 2020. Uh, the books were terrific. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I also thought um, the book, um, I mean, I, Julia and I both love mysteries and thrillers, and she's been mm-hmm. one of our favorite authors, but Ruth Ware um uh-huh. One by yeah. one, which takes place in the Swiss Alps and has this tech angle. That was just again a terrific page turner from her. She she does one or two books a year, and I don't know how she keeps the quality up when she writes as often as she does. But yeah. if you like mysteries, did you read um, Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz? No, Anthony Horowitz. Um, he he's a British writer. He wrote the, he's written quite a few series for BBC, including Midsummer Murders. You might know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Foyle's War. He wrote Foyle's War. But he has written this. This is the second in a series of, of kind of story within a story mysteries. So they're these big fat books, which is fun. I mean, you know, it's going to mm-hmm. last you a while. Right. And, and you start, you start with this one story and then there's a manuscript. You know, and and then you start reading the manuscript that that one of the characters has written, and that takes up like the whole middle part of the book, and it's a completely different mystery. And you just sort of forget about you were reading a different mystery when you started the book, and now there's this huge book right in the middle of it, and then it goes back to the original story. And he does it really well. I mean, the whole thing is tied together, and there's a reason why he does this. It's not just you know, plopping a book inside of a book, but it's great fun and it makes the book like, you know, it's like 600 pages long and like you can read that for days. Yeah, good. I'm excited about that. Do you think, do you think Charles Baxter, uh, we've given up on getting Louise on our show. I don't (laughs) think she really does interviews. She doesn't really even need to. People just, you know, we, if you're a fan of her books, you'll read everything she writes. Which she's very shy. Yeah, she, that's what she I thought. doesn't do a lot of interviews. Yeah, that's how about true. Charles that's Baxter? True. I see no reason why he wouldn't. Okay, um, he's he's great. I mean, I interviewed him. I did a profile of him for the strip that ran in November, right before his novel came mm-hmm. out. And I mean, he was a delight to talk to. He was very, you know, very yeah, thoughtful a... and and like smarter than everybody else, but not in a showy way. You know, yeah. he, was, he was very good. So. And he does talk a lot. He'll, you know, he'd be happy to talk to you about 
any aspect of that, like why it's set in Minneapolis and why it, you know, some of the things have real names and some of them, you know, like he calls the Mall of America in the book. It's called the Utopia Mall. So oh, he changed the name of the mall, right, but he right. doesn't change the name of other places. And so I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure he would talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Tell, him I, tell him I told him. You All right. Uh, we'll <laughs> tell him. And I mean, he's a teacher, so he, yeah. he likes to talk. We know that. Wait till summer when he's got it off. There right, you go. Right. Right. Oh, no. He's he, retired, he just retired, right? Yeah, oh, he then just retired. Then of course he can get him. Time. Yeah, and, I, and we never could. We yeah, never totally. could get Curtis Sittenfeld. Still haven't gotten her yet. We, well, we just gave up on the publisher uh, again. That book came out, you know, in right before COVID. Right before right COVID, yeah, and there was yeah. nobody working, and then we lost. You yeah. know, then Donnie Love got laid off, and it was just like right. kind of. A, cluster but i kept reaching out out loud on twitter or the radio hoping someone would tell curtis because damn it she was our very first author we ever had on our book club for prep oh is that right yes wow that's how far back we feel like we go with her so we were like and then finally julia and i were like well we didn't want to talk about hillary anyway her imagined life (laughs) or otherwise (laughs) well i'll tell you uh, the publicists have now they have figured out how to work from home it was really tough in march and april and may and yeah you know and now they've got it down to a science and they're they're all working from home too i mean i'm sitting here in my house talking to you and i just go down to the star tribune like twice a month to pick up mail and mail stuff out do you to miss, critics. And, do you miss co-workers? I know you miss, uh, you, uh, know, you have to. Yeah, I, I, I used to sit next to Rick Nelson oh, and so. my God, he would bring in the best cookies. And mm. <laughs> I mean, I miss him because he's a great person. Yeah. But he also brought in cookies. No, I'm, I do. Cause I work in features and those are just all great people, you know, funny right. and creative and, you know, you get a lot of energy, talking to people in the hallway and just running into people and, yeah. you know, 